0: Hello, and welcome to Women in Retail Talks, the podcast where C-Suite executive women in retail share their stories of professional growth, leadership development, personal journeys, and more. I'm Marie Albigez, Senior Editor at Women in Retail, a membership-based community of executive women at leading retailers and brands. Today, I'm joined by Alicia Mason, the Chief U.S. Customer Experience Officer at McDonald's. We're talking with Alicia today about sponsoring the next generation of female leaders, about building a great culture at McDonald's, and about her career journey. So Alicia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks Marie for having me here, really excited. Yeah, so I would love to just jump in to hear what your kind of day-to-day responsibilities are, what your, your role is at McDonald's. Yeah, so my role definitely has
1: evolved over the last few years, and I think that is appropriate kind of given the consumer landscape evolution. But my role at McDonald's is overseeing all of our customer facing experiences. And if we think about them on a spectrum, there are the digital marketing experiences. So paid media and CRM and loyalty. And then there are digital ordering channels such as the app and kiosk um, and delivering the website. And specifically, it's not only making sure we have great customer-facing experiences, but really for us and a lot of retailers, the rubber hits the road when the consumers come into our restaurants and they're served by our crew and they want that delicious food. So making sure those customers' experience live up to our values and our brand and our history and our DNA, but making sure then our crew can execute those in a way that is great for the customer as well for them.
0: Yeah, I feel like experience in retail is now like the key the key phrase, right, is experiential retail experiences. Those are what customers are wanted. Um, and I know that you were really instrumental in rolling out McDonald's's new loyalty program. Mm-hmm. And that was even when you were the vice president of digital customer experience and media. So even before the role that you have now. Um, so that's a huge undertaking. And I'm wondering if you could share a few lessons that you learned um, from a leadership perspective as you're kind of helping your team through this.
1: Yeah, it was um, to to go back in time. It seems like it was just yesterday, but it also seems like it was forever ago. Um, So to kind of go back in time, we had already a a very strong customer, uh, a digital customer base. Um, However, you know what our customers kept telling us is what they wanted was a loyalty program because they wanted to be rewarded for their fandom and they wanted uh, more delicious food. That's why they come to us. And so that was the logical next step. Um, I remember it. It was February of 2020. We had our first cross-functional kickoff meeting, and you know, to get something done on the scale that we are, you know, we are privileged to serve. You know, 86% of America. Um, almost 14,000 restaurants. It was a very large cross-functional meeting, as one could imagine. So February 2020, we kick off, and then February or March 13th, we go into into lockdown. Um, so I think one of the the early things that we learned from a leadership uh, leadership standpoint, and me personally, is that it was much as about the what as we had to obviously get you know the product testing and putting in our restaurants for our customer and our crew. But we really had to think differently about the how, how we actually get people in the restaurant safely. How do we pivot when people are obviously not feeling well, or they have loved ones that they're taking care of. And it was that really big balance. And that seems obvious, but it was just so heightened of the stakes that we were in at that moment of trying to launch something that big, which would come to be the largest QSR loyalty program. And during a quite frankly, an unprecedented, uh, unprecedented time. I think the other thing that was really great in kind of looking back, it was a crew, true cross-functional team in terms of you didn't know the roles that people played. You know, if they were in operations or learning and development or marketing, we had one common goal. So in really ensuring, I think, you know, from a leadership standpoint of uh, if if the goal is clearly stated from the top and there is support all the way through, and everyone believes in that, you can, you can really rally a huge you know, cross-functional team to, to get behind, even in the worst of times, like it was COVID, and bring that to life. So needless to say, when we actually launched it and actually physically got together um, in uh, June of 21, it was a pretty big celebration. But it's been a great experience. It, it, You know, it really started with our crew on the ground, being able to execute it, and deliver that for their customers all the way up, you know, to our C-suite of supporting. So it's been fantastic. Um, we have over 30 million active customers in it um, over a year. So it's been a pretty, it's been a pretty wild ride, but something I'm so proud of and will probably be one of the things I hold near and dear to my heart uh, forever, just given how how amazing the team was to bring this to life.
0: Yeah. Congratulations. That's awesome. I mean, it's one thing to launch a loyalty program at a massive company in normal times. Like it's a whole nother when you have to factor in all of the safety aspects that you had to during COVID. So, um, applause to you. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. So I know that you worked in some media agencies before McDonald's. You haven't always been in the, the retail or the restaurant space. So tell me how, maybe walk me through your career a little bit and tell me how those roles prepared you for your current role yeah it's um it's one
1: of those I feel you know, I listen to a lot. I love to hear uh, I love to hear leader stories or you know, how I built this is one of my favorite podcasts on how you know people build businesses. And I always love to hear the story. and I feel like there's two kind of folks that emerge. One is like very, I know i wanted to do this this is what i want to go after like from the start or a very young age or other people that kind of fall into it as they went so i am ai have fallen into it um, in a very lucky way i have to say obviously hard work but pretty lucky um i'm the first one in my family to go to college and so and i'm the first one i'm the only one today that still has maybe you know i'd consider a very corporate job um i knew i wanted to do marketing i did a lot of different internships in college and I read this book, Ogilvy on Advertising, and it just spoke to me. Um, and I was like, I want to be in advertising. This is amazing uh, being able to understand people's behavior and change that. So I actually was lucky enough. I got an, inter- or an interview there and I got an internship and they said, all we have is media. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but I will take it and I will love it and I will be awesome at it. Um, so fast forward, like 15 years later, I was in media um, and it was one that I fell into, It fell into that, but it really kind of suited me. One, early on, I had bosses that really just took me under their wing and gave me a ton of exposure. And even if it was just sitting in a meeting and and seeing how they presented themselves or seeing how they pivot their thinking, it was phenomenal. And I also got, you know, uh, bosses that very much gave me stretch opportunities of, you know, I know you haven't done this, but you're going to be able, you know, we believe in you, you can do that. And they were there for backup. Obviously, you know, I wasn't able or the team to succeed. So... One of the things that I think is great about the agency world, um, or actually there's probably a few. Number one, at least for me, it was a culture that I thrived in. I thrived in, it was a very people culture. It was a work hard, play hard. It was, you know, constantly changing, keeping with consumers. So I found very early on uh, the types of cultures I thrive in versus that I don't thrive in. The second is one of the great things about being on agencies is you get to work on a host of different industries, um, and so I worked on everything in my first, you know, decade of my career, everything from the rebranding of BP to or British Petroleum, you know, to beyond petroleum, um, and that uh, the energy sector to JCPenney to CPG. And while at the end of the day, you're there obviously to, you know, to strengthen the brand. Every, every industry does it differently. And so to have that many different industries in one decade, I think, really kind of sets you up for further success. Um, and the other one, I think, and especially for McDonald's, we work in a three-legged stool, which is us, the operators, and our you know, supplier partners. And there is a constant of you have to create solutions that work for everyone. And being on the agency side, so many times you're creating solutions that work for the client and selling them and making sure people feel good about the investments that they're making. And that very much, especially in the environment of a franchisee, franchisor, I I do think uh, gave me a lot of great experience coming into McDonald's.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally understand what you mean about getting to experience all those different verticals. I used to be in journalism. And so like, knowing that I could write about a different industry every day was so thrilling. So how did you then kind of land on McDonald's? So it's a brand as I got further in my career,
1: it was one of those that I purposely wanted to get into industries or on brands that I had a personal connection with, you know, there for sure I can market brands or industries that I don't, but really I put so much passionate energy, you know, into this. And I think like a lot of us, we spend more time at work than we do with our family. And so if I'm going to wake up and spend that much time, it needs to be something I really feel passionate about. Mm-hmm. So McDonald's has always been on my list. I can remember, you know, every stage of my life, it being there and, it, you know, playing a different role. And, um, one of my clients from, um, had actually gone over to McDonald's and he was like, I think you would really like it here. I think it'd be great. Um, I met, um. Morgan Flatley, who was the CMO at the time and it happened on my 40th birthday. And it was one of those like meetings, like you just click and it was, uh, she is such a fantastic leader. And so to have a fantastic brand and a fantastic leader and knowing where they want to go was, it was like, sign me up. I'm ready to go. Um, so it was pretty quick. Um, and then, and then came into it. Digital originally was not part of my remit. So going back to bosses giving you experiences and giving you opportunities, um, it, was, it was pretty quickly moved into me. And I remember having a conversation. I was like, I haven't really done this. Like what digital ordering is at McDonald's is not what I did on the digital media side you know, of the house. And she's like, we believe in you. It'll be great. And so it was one of those of, you know, it was a great risk that, you know, I guess that she took in me or she saw potential. Um, and I've been so blessed to have this opportunity, but it is something as I think about talent and nurturing teams and giving people opportunities uh, just because they haven't had that experience does not mean that they're not gonna be great at it. Um, so it's probably more about the mindset of the person and the potential versus the functional skills.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you said that because it's, it's one thing to have a great boss or a great mentor that's going to give you those opportunities, but it's also about like what you do with those opportunities. And, and when you know when the right move, the right next move is and maybe there's not a boss that can give you that great opportunity so how do you go and find those opportunities themselves so i'm wondering as you move throughout your career and even into mcdonald's like how how you kind of took those opportunities and really ran with them yeah it's um I
1: had this little thing that I actually call it like the three P's in my mind. And it is something I will tell you, I did not originally have in my career. Like it was more of in, I look back and think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, For sure. Hindsight. I wish I was that purposeful once again, but that Mm -hmm. was not me um, early in my career. So one, it it is the people thing. Like I said with the Morgan, like it was an instant connection. And I've had that time and time again. And so there is, I, I don't want to underplay of the chemistry of people and the team and how important that is, because you are there more than most, you know, most of the time than your own family. Um, And that can be such a critical aspect of it. So I always do kind of uh, for sure assess that. Um, the second is the purpose. And so in purpose of like, what am I actually creating and doing? Um, and so, you know, McDonald's or even my role before that of leading, you know, Kellogg's at the Pooble Group, you know, that role was about redefining a new model to, to, you know, maximize the growth of, quite frankly, very mature brands with mature advertising budgets and how, you know, how to do that. That's an amazing purpose that I can get excited and then I feel good and you know, spending time away from my family and energized. Um, obviously with McDonald's, it was modernized, you know, the McDonald's brand from, you know, how we connect with consumers. That's an amazing purpose to get to kind of work on. And the last one, I call it push. And so this is one where I do, I, I have to feel enough uncomfortable about the move to like feel good about it. So I kind of use like the 60-40 rule or the 70-30 of like, I should know 60-70% of the job or have fairly confidence that I've done it before, but there should be a part of that scope that does push me that I get to do something new and that I feel like I can really learn. Because I do believe a role is a two-way. Obviously, you're providing value to the brand and the company, but you need to be getting value yourself out of that role. And so it needs to kind of meet all three. Um, you're right I like it's not always not every boss I've been very very fortunate um, to, to do that but I think also at the end of the day you know you have managers but you're you're the manager of your own career right you're in charge yeah. you're in charge and so if you're not getting that you need to be defining what is that push opportunity that you're looking for what are you curious about you know early on in my career, um, I remember going to my, my first boss and I was like, I think I need digital experience. Like, you know, back in the day in the agency was like the, the traditional team and the digital team. And so I was like, I think I need this digital, you know? And she was like, okay, like I'll give it to you. And so just really having the confidence to speak up. And I, I would say, you know, if you don't get it, then having maybe the courage to say, is this really the right place for me? Do they really value my whole self in my long-term versus just what I'm producing in that moment?
0: Right. I think it's the ability to to recognize when you do need that help and when you do need, you know, something in your job title or your job description that you don't have the expertise on that you want to learn and being able to go and ask your boss that. That's really impressive. What are those? What are those three P's again? Uh, People, purpose and push. Nice. I love that. Push yourself to be a little uncomfortable. Excellent. Great advice. So I, you touched a little bit about, um, team culture and and work-life balance. And I, I've heard that you use the phrase, or you like to use the phrase, we're all adults to mean, you know, we all know how to behave as responsible workers and humans. So I would love if you could elaborate on how you apply that mindset to your team culture. Yeah,
1: it might be a controversial one. Um, so, but I will tell you this is, I'm pretty transparent and I'm pretty consistent. Um, so what I mean by that is work-life balance in my mind. First off, I'm not a fan of that because I don't like there are many things I'm balancing. I'm balancing being a wife. I'm balancing being a mom, a friend, obviously a worker, um, at times a Girl Scout leader, at times a small business owner. I'm not going to be able to do all of those things in perfect balance at one time. It's just not humanly possible. So I've accepted that. And so for me, it's more about prioritizing the right time when you have to dial one of those up and kind of t- the other one take a back burner and be okay with that and think about in totality do you have balance across all of those things? And so the way that I manage my life and get balance is I wake up at 415 in the morning and I work because that's when the kids are sleeping and my husband's sleeping and I have a little like peace and quiet. Um, but that's not for everyone and nor would I expect that. So that's a little bit of my philosophy of we're all adults how I balance my life is going to be different than someone who's in their twenties and single and don't have kids, you know, um, or someone that, you know, even may be in my same life stage, but they choose to prioritize different things outside of, you know, work. So um, that's, I'm very candid, you know, with my teams of, you, you all have things you have to do outside this office, but you also know what the work is need to be done. And I will support you in making sure you're able to do both. And if something ever feels off, then let's have that conversation about what we need to, to, to make it right. But um, yes. Yeah, so later today I am i uh, I'm actually sitting here from my house doing this because I have family pictures at four 15 that I have to go to. So I am choosing, uh, choosing family pictures this afternoon. So.
0: I love that. So how do you, convey that to your team? I mean, do they know that they can come to you and say, you know what, I really have to take this yoga class at noon at lunch. Um, And if there is a conflict, like how do you address that?
1: So one, I think it just, it first starts with transparency and not just with this. I just think in general, it's always good when you're onboarding to a new team or onboarding new direct reports just really talking about the different styles. And so that is one of the things I do in the first few weeks with people, um, and, and not just my direct reports, but even a few levels down, especially you know, if they're a critical kind of team member or a leader on the team is just talking about styles in terms of, this is my communication style. This is you know, my style of how I work. This is my expectation. Tell me about yours, you know, I don't expect you to respond to me at 415 in the morning, but also do expect I'm not going to respond to you at eight o'clock at night, because I don't work at eight o'clock at night, but some people like to. So I think having that transparency from the onset, um, and then I think there's a little bit of the modeling of it, of my team knows today, I'm not going to be in the office this afternoon, because I'm going to be at a photo shoot with my family, and I can't talk. And so I think that just, you know, being able to live that and support that, I mean, there are times to be clear that I have to prioritize, you know, of being in the office. And we also have those hard conversations. And if it's like, okay, you really can't, okay, well, let's figure out a backup plan. Who can be here in your place? Or what can we send as a pre-read not to have you, you know, because you have something, you know, something, another
0: commitment. So just being transparent and be able to work around it and model that behavior. Yeah, that's a great leadership trait to have. So I know that you are also a really big proponent of mentorship and sponsorship, and I think I heard that you even sponsor a few women yourself. So what does that look like for you? So it is one, um, this is probably organically came up for me
1: because I have been very blessed, as I said, to have very... um, very strong female bosses that ultimately are mentors, and I still talk to many of them today. Um, as of today, actually, I was just speaking with one earlier today, and so it's it's something that I believe very much that I need to kind of carry forward uh, because I had that opportunity and I had that person doing. So one, there's the the straight mentorship, right, of just giving people an opportunity to have really, you know, um, exposure to you and just to talk about their career and hey, different perspective. And so I have those formally set up with people that I work with today, but also informal ones of people that I have managed in the past, you know, that still keep that connection of, Oh, Hey, met this crossroads. What do you think? Or I'm in this tricky kind of situation with a client. Um, and so I think having those are important. I will say over the last few years, it's been, um, I've been specific. I tended to maybe mentor people that are like me in terms of kind of my profile, in terms of, you know, either a driver or in a media role only. So, like, more just people that are, you know, similar to me or my background. And so, I have been more purposeful in the last few years of trying to mentor people with more diverse backgrounds um, and career aspirations, because I do believe you can learn from each other. So that's one side of mentorship. So I'd really think about not only who are you mentoring, but also who's mentoring you and are they diverse? You know, do you have a diverse kind of uh, slate of mentors? Um, and then the the sponsorship I do think is a newer kind of concept. Um, I've only learned it in the last probably three years. And so to me, this is really being purposeful on people you're gonna advocate for in like certain situations. So you're gonna be, when we're having talent, uh, calibration conversations, or when we're talking about who's getting the next rotation or who gets to this opportunity, I believe it is up to leaders to make sure that you are sponsoring people that are not just a direct report to you, but you have a few people that you can vouch for them, that you understand their capability, you understand their career aspirations. So I have that with a few people within um, within McDonald's, but also I have asked someone above me to sponsor me. That's not my direct boss, um, so so I have it both ways.
0: So do you have uh, kind of a mentorship bucket or column of people, and then you have a sponsorship column of people? Yeah. Uh, do they ever overlap, and how do you differentiate the two?
1: Yeah, so they, there is, so I do have both. And as I said, I have like informal and informal as well on the ment- uh, the mentoring side. Um, and I think my, to me, the biggest differentiation of it is it's around the sponsorship is ensuring it's not just people that report to you. Because I would expect that as a, as a leader, you would be advocating for your own people, right? Of that. And so I think it's important, especially as people get further up in their career, that you need cross-functional leaders advocating for you, you know, to, at that level to keep progressing. And so making sure I'm sponsoring people that are outside of my direct uh, report, span, and quite frankly, outside of, of, of marketing.
0: Mm-hmm. Are they still within your organization or are they even- Yeah, so yeah, they're within my
1: organization because it's more about advocating to get to the next level or that assignment or that opportunity.
0: Mm-hmm. And um, I have so many questions on mentorship and sponsorship. So are you seeking them out? Or are they seeking you out? Um, so it depends. So from a mentorship, it's two different ways. So
1: um, at McDonald's, we do have formalized mentor programs. So I am a Palm Circle leads. So that is more of, it was formalized. There's quite a few of us that are, you know, leaders and it's those, those connections. I will say they're more informal. So going back to what I talked about of making sure I'm mentoring more diverse, you know, sets of talent. So I have over the course of the last few years have reached out to talent that I believe has a lot of potential that maybe is not, you know, on everyone's like, you know, mentee list. And said, "Hey, I would like to mentor you because of X, Y, Z reasons. Would you be open to meeting with me, you know, once a month or once a quarter?" So that, how that is that how that has worked from a sponsorship? It was more of I saw potential in people cross-functioning that I work with, and said. Hey, I would really like to advocate for you when we're having these conversations. First off, let me understand, would you be okay with that? But um, B, what, what are you really striving for? What, what type of a role do you want? What type of experiences do you want? Because I don't wanna be advocating for something that the person doesn't want. Um, so that is it. But also in the case of like, I reached out to someone that's above me and I said, will you be my sponsor in these types of meetings? And they said, yes. And so I think, you know, if your company doesn't have it, I do think you can do it informally thinking about, you know, once again, who would you sponsor, but then do you have a sponsor that's not just your boss at the level above you? Mm
0: -hmm. That's all such great advice. Um, do you have maybe one other piece of advice for cultivating those relationships, um, both from a sponsor, you being the sponsor and you receiving a sponsor? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I go back to, it's probably
1: going to be consistent with one of my other answers. It's just like the transparency. um, and I, and I do this even with my mentors. Like, it's okay to tell me that you don't want to be at, you know, XY company forever and ever. Like, I'm okay with that, you know, but I can help you navigate or I can maybe help you think through different opportunities that you don't maybe always see, or even in your own self of being very transparent of, hey, I, this is actually what really gives me energy. I know I'm in this role, but this is what I want and this is what gives me energy. So I have found the most meaningful connections and quite frankly that have netted the most either in you know new ways of thinking or an actual opportunity is when you can be really transparent and honest with that person but also have the trust that it stays within that, within, you know, uh, within the two of you or shows up. If you are talking about it, it shows up an appropriate way without breaking that person's trust or feeling like your trust would be broken.
0: Yeah, I mean, so many times it's hard to be honest with a boss because you're afraid of offending them or you're afraid of any repercussions. So it's great to have that transparency coming from, from the top, from the boss uh, so that you can be vulnerable and ask for those things. So I love that advice. Yep, absolutely. So Alicia, we are nearing the end of the podcast and we're nearing the end of the year. So I wanted to ask you if you've got any kind of professional or personal goals leading into the new year. Um, so I have a few, I have
1: three um, and probably uh, one is personal, one is professional, one like straddles, uh, straddles uh, both. One from a professional standpoint, I always think it's critical at the end of the year to really reflect on accomplishments and even, quite frankly, learnings—you know, things you could do better—and um, making sure that you're having time and space to discuss that, not only your own self, like that own, you know, mental moment to do that, but discussing that with the teams and really just making sure, as people head into, you know, the downtime, the holidays, and the new year, of uh, just feeling really good about what they accomplished and and being okay to, you know, to unplug and you know take time off. And so a little bit of a, it's not like a reset, but it is a little bit of a, you know, a, a mental mental reset um, heading into the holidays of taking stock of the last year with myself and, and with the team. So that is something... I try to spend at the the end of the year and of course some celebrations and hopefully they will
0: be in person this year. Yeah. Um, do you have a, a process, like a formal process for doing that? I mean, does it involve spreadsheets or is it just kind of like put it on the calendar, take an hour, take a day and reflect? It's more, um, so I'm a
1: reflector at four fifteen in the morning. So I do a lot of that. Um, so that is like kind of my kind of space. And so It's more around making sure I'm using my one-on-ones and team meetings in December. So like I will go into December of like having my thoughts there and then doing that, you know, in the, in those settings, just so it's like, that's how we're ending the year. It's on a positive note of celebrating and, you know, not everything's going to be a celebration, but you can learn from everything. And what, how do we think about actually start to have a conversation today someone was asking me about it. I don't have regular one-on-ones with this person, but this person was asking, I was like, here are my reflections, you know? And I think this is a great thing to learn and let's apply it in the new year and, you know, move on. Um, so that's, that's kind of how I do it. Uh, yeah. So a lot of mine is uh, probably the four fifteen to six o'clock is when I do it is when I set my time on the calendar. Um, and then personally, I'm looking forward. I have uh, two uh, girls and a husband and we are going on a much needed vacation. So we're going to Jamaica over the holidays. So I am so looking forward to unplugging and having a little bit of uh, rest in, uh time and relaxation with them. And I'm very much a sun beach person. So I, uh, I am in Chicago. So I can only imagine when December will be around here. So I cannot wait to get out. Amazing. And then the last one is um, my, my husband decided not to go back to corporate America he uh, started his own business and it very much, you know, we are uh, we are a, a family business so on Sundays. You'll find us all in the store. It's been a great learning experience for the girls and even for myself um, of running a small business. I'm a better business person because of it. Um, so this is our first seasonal um, holiday. Uh, and it so it is a bit professional and uh, personal, how we manage and and another thing during the busy holiday season. So fit that into play practice and holiday festivities and you know end of year and all of that so those are kind of the three big things I have going on over the next few weeks to close out the year and uh be very thankful for 2022 and look forward to a uh, bright 23. Amazing so you're in Chicago where can people find the store? Oh we live in Oak Park it's called Candy Copia it's right downtown Oak Park so awesome. check out. great
0: well Alicia thank McDonald's so- on the way before you go Yes, right. (laughs) Okay. Well, Alicia, thank you so much. We are out of time, but I really enjoyed talking with you and I really hope that you enjoy that reflection and definitely enjoy Jamaica. Perfect. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. For more information on this podcast, please go to womeninretail.com slash podcasts for show notes. Women in Retail Talks is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Make sure to subscribe on our podcast channel page as well. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a few moments to rate and review our show. Lastly, if you're a female retail leader interested in joining our community at Women in Retail Leadership Circle, visit womeninretail.com slash apply. Thanks, and until next time, this has been Women in Retail Talks.